right, right, right. Welcome everyone to the Truth and Love Study. We can start with a word of prayer and get to it. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that you've given us once again to get into your word, to be enlightened, to be encouraged, to be motivated, to be energized, to be revitalized. Holy Spirit, we ask for your guidance throughout the rest of the session. Lead us, guide us, teach us, and help us in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we can start, guys. Welcome, everyone, to the Tuesday Bible study. Okay, let me check if my brain is on. Sometimes I get carried away. <coughs> Sorry. Yo. Sometimes I get carried away and I don't switch on my brightness. Okay, I think it's done. Okay, so we can start. So we are continuing our study on the life of John the Baptist. I've been enjoying it, guys. I don't know how, I don't know about you guys, but personally, I've been enjoying it. Um, literally every single step of the way. I would love to hear your feedback, though. Like, how are you guys taking this? Are you enjoying it as well? Are you excited? I don't know. I hope so. So today we continue from where we left off. And just before I begin, I just want to point out something. Hi, trio for L. I'm assuming that means through for life. Thank you for joining. Okay, so I just want to point out, if you remember last week when we left off, last week we left off talking about how to sort of like, how our lives in a way bear resemblance, to, bear, our lives bear resemblance to the life of John the Baptist. In as much as, hi DJ Anusa, in as much as, John the Baptist's purpose was to point people to Christ. We sort of took that and we pointed that back to ourselves and we said, ideally, that's that's essentially our purpose as well because Christ's last command before he left the earth was go ye and make disciples all over the world. And we pointed that and we reflected that back to ourselves that likewise, we, we're meant to do something similar. Everything about our existence, the way we carry ourselves, the way we speak, the way we dress, the way we talk, in a way, it's supposed to point people to Christ. And the Holy Spirit actually dropped something very interesting in my spirit during the course of the week that we are looking at it from a very narrow perspective. The whole point of living a life that points people to Christ. He was like, you guys are looking at it from a very narrow perspective. The perspective is actually broader because, and he's particularly highlighted to me the part where you're in a situation where you're offering people advice which is some situation I find myself in a lot of the times, like in that situation where you're offering people advice, more often than not, have you ever noticed that we tend to point people towards like the advice that we want them to hear or the advice that we think is right? Or from our judgment, when we observe the situation, when we observe this and we observe that, we sort of kind of give people advice based on that, but very rarely do we point people to Jesus? You know, like the role of John the Baptist was to point people to Jesus. And we're mirroring that to ourselves and we're saying our role as well as believers is to point people to Jesus. So those people are basically saying, even when you give your friends advice, don't be so caught up in trying to be right or trying to sound, I don't know, politically correct or anything. Always like encapsulate the advice that you give people within the framework of what God is doing in their lives. Because more often than not, God is doing a work in people's lives. And sometimes we're not aware. A lot of the times we're not aware of that work. And sometimes the advice that you give people, in as much as it may be right, in as much as it may feel right, in as much as it may be correct, it might actually contradict 
the work that God is trying to do in their lives. So basically, it's important, even in, when you're giving people advice, to always point them back to God. This is, you know, you've told me your story, and I've understood it. It's very interesting. But from this particular perspective, all my thoughts are this and this and this, but I would encourage you to pray more and hear the mind of God about X, Y, Z. Basically, that's what I was trying to say. If you saw the post that I put on my profile, that's basically what I was trying to say. The, the, the whole concept of being a person who lives a life that points people to Christ, it also applies in the context of where you're giving people advice. Always encapsulate your advice or your encouragement to other people within the confines of what God is doing in their lives. Always refer them and point them back to God. That, what is God doing in this person's life? Okay, awesome. So we're going to get into today's verse. We, we are now getting into interactions that involve John and Jesus. Sometimes John and Jesus, John and his disciples. So we're going to read John chapter 1, verse 35 to 42. Then we're going to pick some points from the... John chapter 1, verse 35 to 42. I'm going to read it, right? Again, the next day, John stood with the with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus he walked and he said behold the Lamb of God the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus then Jesus turned seeing them following and said to them what do you seek then they say to him Rabbi which is to say when translated teacher what are you saying verse 39 and he said to them come and see and they came and they saw where he was staying and they remained with him that day and now it was about the tenth hour one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, in brackets, verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated as Tom. So this is very fascinating. It's a very interesting passage of the Bible. Where we find John the Baptist and he's with his disciples and they're doing what he does. He's baptizing people and he's doing the most. And then Jesus passes by and John the Baptist points to Jesus, right? And he identifies him. As we've already like established that this was not something new for John the Baptist. This was something he did over and over and over and over. He did it repeatedly. And then now we find him in this place again and he points to people. He points to the people that are with him that that's the guy. That's the Messiah. And what I find fascinating is in as much as John continuously and multiple times pointed out Jesus as the Messiah, only two of his disciples caught that. Because ideally, if you look at it from just a logical perspective, John's purpose primarily was to make way for the Christ and to point people to Christ, right? So that meant after he had done that, essentially his, his, his job was done. And what I find fascinating is he did that so many times, but out of all his disciples, only two managed to catch it. Ideally, this man was sent to point us to Jesus. And once he has pointed us to Jesus, that's pretty much it. Now we have to transfer and go to the next person. We have to go to Jesus because John has already pointed us to, to Jesus. So it's so fascinating to me that we've already read and we've established that he is a person that pointed us people Jesus multiple times he did it so many times but only two of his disciples caught that revelation that 
John is saying it's time for us to move and to go to the person he was meant to point us to. So I'm going to read what, what I wrote here. Verse 36 shows us that John was a man who walked in his purpose. He points out Jesus again. This is like the third or second time in this whole chapter, right? John was sent to point people to Jesus in John 3. And now we see him, he's pointing people again to Jesus. And he specifically says, that's the one that we are waiting for. <coughs> and the unfortunate thing is, only two of his disciples caught this. Two caught the revelation. And I feel like the role of John the Baptist, it's, 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 when you're reading the Bible, it's like, it's, it's a one-way role. But when you understand it deeper, you realize that he, he, he relates with so many people. Like he's a person who can relate to you as an individual, how you as a person should live a life that points people to Christ. Everything about you, we spoke about that in the previous session. But then I feel like it also points or it also references the position of a pastor or your pastor in your local church or your spiritual leaders. Them themselves, they're like John the Baptist because ideally they are meant to point you to Jesus. They're meant to direct you and to sort of lead you to Jesus. That's Jesus. That's how you access Jesus. That's how you pray. That's how you fast. That's how you talk to God. That's how you communicate with God. Essentially, they're doing all these things to point you to Jesus. But what we cannot negate, what I love about this passage of scripture that we just read, <clears throat> is John showed his disciples, it's like, that's the Messiah, that's the Christ, that's the guy, right? Even after he did that and he pointed the Messiah, right? It was now the responsibility of his two disciples, Andrew and John, to now go and pursue a relationship with the Messiah. And as much as John was the one who pointed him out, John could not pursue the relationship with the Messiah for, for them. John's role was simple. <clears throat> it was just to point people to the Messiah. And this is exactly what the situation we find ourselves in in this particular day and age. The role of your pastor is broad, but primarily is to point you and to lead you and to usher you to Jesus is to lead you, is to teach you, is to correct you, is to rebuke you, but ultimately is to point you or to push you to a place where you have a personal relationship with Jesus. But the building of the actual relationship, now that, that, that that's your work. No one can do that for you. Your pastor can do that for you. His role is somewhat limited, but there's a role you have to play. I always say never negate the role you have to play in any situation. And that's what we find in this place. <clears throat> That John the Baptist, he pointed his disciples to the Christ. And their disciples were smart. Not only because they were the only two disciples that caught the message of what John was, was talking about since he went into the wilderness, right? <clears throat> they caught it. Not only did they catch it, they caught it entirely because we see it with the way they pursued Jesus until the end. So likewise, with the teachings you're getting at your church, the things your pastors are teaching you, the things... I don't know, all the, all the sermons, all the teachings. Are you using those things to now pursue God? Because with the information that John the Baptist gave these two disciples, right? They were able to use that information, <coughs> excuse me, to now go after Jesus and then say, where are you staying? Well, what are you doing? Where you say, show us where you're staying. And then they were able to pursue a relationship with Jesus based off of what they were told. So likewise, we should not negate the role we have to play. I always say, sometimes building a relationship with God, it's something that calls for intentional effort. It's so funny how sometimes we think that 
even in more everyday life, right? We know if you want to build a relationship with a physical human being, it takes effort. You have to communicate, you have to talk, you have to chat, you have to do this, you have to do that. <clears throat> but somehow we, we we have this very interesting and very flawed narrative that when it's time to pursue a relationship with God, it's it's ultimately God that does all the pursuing. But then even in the Bible, God says, draw close to me and I'll draw close to you. There is a part, there is a conscious effort that is required on your part. To be able to establish a relationship with God, you are called to have a conscious effort, to do a conscious effort. You have to do the walking. These disciples were told and John pointed them to Jesus. But they had to walk with their own legs and make a conscious effort on their part to now go after Jesus. Even Jesus was like, what do you guys want from me? And then they were like, no, where are you staying? We want to see where you're staying. And eventually they became disciples and so many things grew from that until the very end. But where did it start? It started by them being pointed out that that was Jesus and that that was the way they had to go. <clears throat> so likewise, all the teachings that your pastors are teaching in church, in a church setting, in anything, it's, it's meant to point you to Jesus. It's meant to point you to Jesus. Are you using that to deepen your relationship with God? Are you using that to deepen, to develop a deeper relationship with God? Okay, so what I have here is, I'm going to read what I have here. Likewise, the pastor's role is to lead you and point you to Jesus. Building and establishing a relationship with him is your responsibility. John pointed him out, but they had to go after him and seek him by themselves. In verse 38 to 39, we see that John <clears throat> had done good work with his two disciples. The way they pursued Christ and the way that even as disciples, we don't hear stories about Andrew and John. We don't hear any stories. Because it's assumed that the other disciple is John. Because this is the book of John, written by John the disciple, right? And it's believed that John the disciple, John the disciple was once a disciple of John the Baptist. So that in, in the story is like two of John the Baptist's disciples. The other one was Andrew, but the other one is unnamed. So people assume that it's that it's him, the person who's writing the scripture, because it's more like a first-hand account. And we see that even those disciples, the disciples that came from John the Baptist, John the Baptist had trained them so well that even when you read the story of the disciples, they were not troublemakers. They were just people that were aligned and that were just walking with God. Likewise, let's see, use the information we get, be it from church or from whatever, to <coughs> build a deeper relationship with God. Okay. Verse 39. Let's just read it. I think it will be better for us. <coughs> Sorry. He said to them, come and see. This is Jesus now talking to the two disciples that I just left John the Baptist. Come and see. And they came and they saw he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. Right? So I was reading some like a Bible commentary. And it was saying, basically these people from the time they were with John the Baptist <clears throat> that day. It was around 6 a.m. And until the time they spent the whole day with Jesus. So it means they were with Jesus from 6 a.m. until 5 a.m. Until five, until four p.m. Sorry. So what I want us to take from this is a very important lesson. It's something you can read and you can think it's just a meaningless detail. But like my pastor always says, there's no meaningless detail in the word of God, right? It says they remained that whole day with them. This also points to us that these were people that were hungry and desperate to know God. And as much as they knew the things that John the Baptist had said, they had a hunger or in and of themselves. And as much as you may know the things that 
your pastor tells you about God, that the people around you tell you about God. You, you need to have a hunger of your own to have your own revelation and your own description of who God is to you. You need to have that own, that separate individual hunger. So we see that in these two disciples, that <clears throat> they literally left John the Baptist in the morning and they went to Jesus and they spent the whole day with him. And this actually it reflects back to us. Are you a disciple that can spend time with God? A lot of us, we can spend the whole day with our friends. We can chat, <coughs> dusk to dawn, we can talk to our friends. But when it comes to making time with God, 30 minutes is a lot. 15 minutes, you actually feel like you don't have anything else to say. Why is that? That we can spend so much time with people. But when it comes to spending time with God, we feel like the time is a lot. But we're seeing these disciples, trying to train them well. Because we see this by the pursuit that they did of Jesus. We see this even by the time that they spent with Jesus. Are you a disciple, a follower of Jesus that spends time with Jesus? I love something that my pastor always says. <clears throat> he says that when you spend time with God, he sort of rubs off on you. And sometimes when you come out of the presence of God, you, you find that even your demeanor is changed, the way you carry yourself, the way you speak, because he rubs his presence of, on you and you become a different person in a way. So, what I want us to take from this is, as an individual, pray for God to give you a hunger to spend time in his presence. Pray for God to give you a hunger to pray. Pray for God to give you a hunger to pursue him. Because sometimes, to be honest, if we're going to keep it a bug, the truth is sometimes the hunger is not there. Like you can watch things on Netflix like from dusk to dawn until like 4 a.m. But for you to be praying for that exact amount of time, it's practically hard. And it takes sort of like culturing and cultivating that out within yourself. But the Holy Spirit is there to help us. Sometimes you have to pray for the desire. Sometimes you have to pray for the desire. And I always give the example. I was not a person who loved to pray, to be honest. I didn't. Especially at those prolonged prayers, I was not. I had to grow into it. And I had to pray for that desire. Because God can put that. God can put that desire for you. That's what I want us to take from verse 39. <clears throat> Pray for God to give you a desire to know him. Pray for God to, to give you a hunger to know him. Hi, B. Pray for God to give you a hunger to pray. Pray for God and ask him to give you that hunger to seek him. Because the truth is sometimes that hunger is not there. And sometimes you genuinely don't have it. And you have to pray for God to give you that hunger. That will make you go deeper in prayer. I love that verse that talks about quicken us so we can call upon your name. Sometimes it takes God and the Holy Spirit literally quickening you and giving you that hunger for prayer. And sometimes I love this pastor who said, more often than not, I ask the Holy Spirit to, to wake me up to pray. And he does, you know. The Holy Spirit can wake you up to pray. I've had like an encounter like that sometimes where... I was really having, I was having trouble because I wanted to wake up to pray. But sometimes I'd be so tired and I did not have any. Then I was like, no, Holy Spirit, wake me up to pray. Like, if you feel like, <laughs> if I can't wake up, wake me up to pray. And literally, this was one morning I was struggling to wake up, you know. And I just felt like someone just, and I literally just woke up. So it's very possible for you to pray for certain things. Pray for the Holy Spirit to give you hunger to pray. Pray for the Holy Spirit to give you hunger to read the word. Sometimes people say, I read the Bible and it bores me because I can't find, I'm, I, I can't understand it. 
Sometimes that desire, it comes from the Holy Spirit. You have to pray for that desire and that hunger to hear the word. You have to pray for that hunger to, to love the things of God. It's something you have to pray for, for the most part. You know, some people, it comes to them naturally. But sometimes you have to pray for it, for God to help you with that, right? Pray for God to give you a hunger to spend time with him in prayer, in meditation, and even in fasting. Sometimes, yes, sometimes spending time with God means being quiet. I feel like this is like a common misconception that we have, that sometimes you think spending time with God, it means like you have to be in prayer and you have to be talking throughout. I was a person who had that same misconception that you think spending time with God means you have to be in prayer and you have to be talking 24-7. But I love something that Pastor King Steokongo said. He said, when you're in prayer, always remember that it's the things that God tells you that will change your life, not the things that you tell him. Because the things you're telling God, he already knows. So oftentimes we spend a really big time in prayer telling God things that he already knows. And we leave Literally, sometimes we don't even leave time for him to speak back. So sometimes spending time with God, it does not necessarily mean talking through and through. Because we're talking about how you as an individual are supposed to be proactive about building a relationship with God. We're talking about how the Holy Spirit can give you a hunger to pray, a hunger to read the word, a hunger to study the word. And we're saying even in prayer, you don't necessarily always have to be talking 24-7. Sometimes you just have to be quiet and listen. You read the word, you're thinking on the word, you're meditating. And the Holy Spirit drops something in your spirit. You're like, huh, that's interesting. And then you take your note. My, my pastor always says, always have a notebook and a pen. Sometimes when you're in a place of prolonged prayer, always have a notebook and a pen. And you write those, those thoughts that just come through your head and they just pop through. They're not random thoughts. Half the time is the Holy Spirit trying to get your attention towards certain things. So bear that in mind when you're now getting into a place of being intentional with God that it's the things that God tells you that will change your life. Not the things that you tell him. The things you tell him, he already knows. So when you're in that place of prayer, reserve time, a time of silence. A time where you just pause and you just say, God, what, what do you have to say to me? I know I've, I've spoken for the longest time, <clears throat> but what, what do you have to tell me? And you keep quiet. And you keep quiet. And someone said, sometimes when you start to do that and you start to, Practice silence in prayer. Sometimes your thoughts run and you're thinking about other things, but it's a practice. And sometimes you don't even get anything. You're sitting there and you don't feel like the Holy Spirit is dropping anything. It's okay. You pray, amen, you're done. The more you do that, the more you practice that, eventually you see sometimes the ideas start to pop pop into your head. Sometimes things start to come into your head and you make use of those things, right? God already knows what you're about to say to him, but you don't. chances are you don't know what he's about to say to you. Silence is also a part of prayer. <clears throat> the book of Jeremiah 33 verse 3 reads, Call unto me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and incomprehensible things that you don't know. That part is coming back again. God is saying, when you pray, call unto me and I will answer you. He's actually giving us that guarantee. That when you call unto me, I will answer you. And I will tell you great and incomprehensible things that you don't know. A lot of the times in life, we don't have the answers. That's the truth. You have so many questions about your life, about why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why did this person do this? And God is literally telling you that uh, when you call unto me, I'll answer you and I'll tell you the things that you don't know, the questions that you may have, that you may want God to answer for you. So it's important to pause and listen to what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you, right? 
I love that verse in the book of 2 Corinthians 9 verse 11. Let me read it. It's one of my favorite verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 11. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9 to 11. It reads, But as it is written, No eye has seen, nor any ear heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. I love that verse because it reassures me. Sometimes when you're in a place of prayer, like especially when you're in a place where we have so many questions. I love how that verse says, the spirit searches all things. Apostle Roman Osai put it this way. He said, the Holy Spirit is a search engine. It searches all the questions you may have about life, about your family, about why this happened, why that happened. He said the Holy Spirit can search all things, even the deep things of God. Even if you're a, question, a person who has questions about oh, what's my, what does my future look like? Because ideally, in the, new, in the New Testament, us as New Testament believers, the future is not supposed to be a surprise to us. The Bible clearly tells us that the Holy Spirit will show you things to come. So the future should not come and you're like, oh, I don't know, I didn't see a single thing. You're supposed to have a rough idea because the Holy Spirit will show you things to come. That's what this verse is saying, that the Spirit searches everything. This should actually give you confidence in prayer that the Holy Spirit is capable of searching everything, even the deep things of God, everything about your family, about you, about everything. But then even the deep things of God, even things of God that you want to understand, maybe it's a verse that you've read <clears throat> and you can't quite make sense of. The Holy Spirit is able to search. But then how do you get to that place of interaction? By being intentional about this time you spend with God, right? The next verse, verse 10 reads, But God has revealed them to us through his, his Spirit. God is willing to reveal things to us through his Holy Spirit. If we become intentional about our prayer lives, and if we become intentional about the time we spend with God. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, even the deep things of God. For what men knows the things of him <clears throat> of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him even so no one knows the things of god except the spirit of god so that's what i want us to take today as we are closing this session because then it says the holy spirit can search all things nothing is hidden to that's true that's very true that's what i want us to take from this that be very intentional about the relationship you put with God. I'm actually starting to realize that this is like a very recurring theme from all the studies that we've done prior. <clears throat> Intentionality with God is a recurring theme. If you're a person who is a follower of the Tuesday Bible study, you know that this is a very recurring theme. That's what I wanted to take us from this session again. Be intentional about your relationship with God. Be intentional about your prayer life. Be intentional about your fasting life. Be intentional about reading the word, be intentional about everything, be intentional about knowing scripture, be intentional about understanding scripture, be intentional about silence and prayer, be intentional about all these things, right? A relationship with God is pursued. Like those two disciples, they caught the revelation and they ran with it. They caught it. John said, that's Jesus. And he didn't even tell them to go or chase after him. <clears throat> he just said, that's the Messiah. That's the one I was talking about. But it clicked in their minds that the, what this actually means or what this translates to us is it's time for us to pursue that man that John has pointed us to. <clears throat> and that's where we're going to find purpose. That's where we're going to find our answers. <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. And I love the part where 
ideally I always thought that that first in Matthew is it 16, 17, 17, 18, I don't know. Where Peter tells Jesus that you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God, and he says, Thou art Peter, what what, 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 what. I always thought that was the first time that Jesus identified Peter as Kephas. I, I identified he was previously known as Simon. That he identified him as Kephas. Apparently, I actually realized in this verse that he actually identified him the first minute he met him. That's when he identified him, like, you, you shall be Kephas. But then, it's only after Peter had a revelation of Jesus, that who Jesus was. When Peter was introduced to Jesus, right, as the Messiah, Jesus said to Peter, you, you are Simon, son of Jonah, but you shall be called Kephas. And they stopped there. But when you go many chapters <clears throat> into Matthew 16, 17, 18, thereabout, Jesus repeats those same things. You, Simon, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, right? For flesh is not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. You are Simon, son of Jonah, but you shall be called Kephas. And then he goes on to give him a purpose. It's like, and on this rock I will build my church. You see? So now it, it, it went a level deeper. Why? Because he had his own understanding and revelation of who Jesus was. And because he had that revelation of who Jesus was, Jesus was able to reflect that revelation back to him and said, because you know who I am. I told you who you were before. I told that you would be called Kephas. But now I'm going to go a level deeper. And I'm going to tell you that you will be Kephas again. And on this revelation, I will build my church. Basically saying that Peter was one of the foundational elements of the new church of the church in the new testament <clears throat> you see so it's important the more you are intentional about a relationship with god the more you're intentional about prayer it reveals things about yourself to you because a lot of the times we don't even know ourselves <laughs> we don't we think we do then god shows and you realize what you thought you were and what you actually are are two very different things so with that today we close off tonight's session thank you to everyone for joining if you're watching this podcast and you have not given your life to Christ, I'd love to leave.